So the next one. When I feel drained because of one of these emptiers, I will stop and remember. You could look at that handout that I gave you on true statements. When you're struggling with something that's draining you dry, you can check those verses and pick one of those and write down the truth so that when you catch yourself getting drained on something like this, you can go back to this verse and remind it to yourself. The next one is, think about the three fill-up statements. If you knew God, if you heard Jesus, you'd ask for the Holy Spirit. So go ahead and write those in. Know God, have a relationship with Jesus, and ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The next thing, think of where do you feel the closest to God? When do you feel the closest and what are you doing during that? It might not be something like necessarily spiritual, but it puts you in a a spiritual mind, like dishes and listening to a podcast, coloring, painting, spending time in the Bible, getting up early and just going outside, being with other believers, Bible study group, mentoring, spending time with your family, being alone at a coffee shop. What is what? What are some things that fill you up? So go ahead and write those in. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes we get really low, right? Long days with the kids, weeks of silence from God, weeks of stressful homeschooling. Hard things for a long period of time can drain us completely dry. When I get empty and desperate, so this is on the the handout. When I get empty and desperate, I will try. So think of something to write in there. A retreat, a night in a hotel by yourself, a coffee date. For me, for me, it's definitely a coffee date. Now, I have fun coffee dates, but then I have like plain old desperate coffee dates. Like if it's really bad, I don't even make it to the coffee shop. I just sit in the parking lot and cry. Um, funny night, funny story. One night I did that. And I didn't make it into the coffee shop. And my husband called and was like, hey, the baby's barfing. And I'm like, okay, I'll come home. I started up my van and my van would not start. So that was a desperate coffee night. And I didn't even get that. But somehow in the humor of it all, it helped. (laughs) Um, Sometimes maybe it's just meeting up with a friend or texting or journaling or just, there's all kinds of things when you get really, really desperate. Okay, the last thing on this handout is to write someone's name in here and commit to asking them for prayers. So it says, I will text blank to pray for me. The power of prayer is beyond what we can imagine. Just do it. Write somebody's name down there and commit to, to texting them or calling them or whatever, emailing them. Asking for prayers when you get really low. As I finish up here, my prayer is you will have courage to leave your water jug and all the things that are trying to empty your you, all the things that are worrying you, all the things that you stress over. My prayer is you'll leave them at the feet of Jesus and be filled with his living water.
My prayer is that you stop letting Satan trick you into focusing on that stuff that drains you. And that instead, you'll start focusing on knowing God, strengthening your relationship with Jesus, and asking the Holy Spirit to fill you up. I pray that you can be not like the empty girl, but the now enlightened girl. And go out to tell others your story. Bring them to Jesus so they can see the, him for themselves. God made us women to pour out to others, to bring others to Jesus. He made us to care for everyone around us, but he doesn't want us to do it dry. He wants us to pour out of a cup that is filled to overflowing. A few days ago, Ethan was homesick from work. He had the great privilege of being a fly on the wall listening to our entire day as he dozed in and out. He witnessed a pretty typical day. We read at the table during breakfast, so the fighting is kept to the minimum. minimum. The nagging to get the dishwasher emptied, the million reminders to stay focused on their schoolwork, the laundry getting done, dishes rattling, the sticky table being washed off after the millionth snack, the noise of three online school teachers speaking at once, each three feet from each other, the sight of school papers covering the island, he heard me scolding the kid who maybe didn't even realize they were on the ripstick going around and around and around the island in the kitchen instead of staying in one place during her history class. The fighting over who gets the most mac and cheese at lunch. Then after school, the audiobooks that start up as soon as they're done with their work. Two, sometimes even three boxcar children's stories going on in the same room. Exciting for Ethan, his sick room is right off the main kitchen area where he got to hear all of the action. Then there was supper and more dishes, and he happened to catch me making meat sauce for the freezer. Yes, yay me. It made me look like I was so, such a homemaker. Then, of course, the bedtime drama that lasts a couple hours. As I flopped into bed, he said, wow, you just give and give and give other people all day long yes homeschool mama I guarantee you are no different than I am I'm gonna guarantee that you no matter if you're homeschooling one child or nine children toddlers or teenagers as you flop into bed at night you could hear the same words wow you just give and give and give <clears throat> You give to your elderly parents, your kids, your husband. You give to the people you see at the grocery store. You give to that committee at church. The students in your co-op group, your nieces, your nephews. You give to your neighbors and the girl at church who just had a baby. I know you give a lot. That's the way God made women. We're good givers. Sometimes at the end of the day, we've given all we have. The next morning we get up and we do it again. The next day, we do the same thing. And the next, and the next, and the next. Pouring out to our people every day can drain us, completely empty us deep inside our souls. I wonder if you felt this drained, empty, restless feeling in your soul. God made us to pour out to others. He made us to care about everyone around us, but he never wanted us to do it dry. Today, I want to address this empty, drained feeling. 
We're going to read a story that we've all heard many times. But tucked inside the story, we're going to find six things we focus on that drains us extra quick. We're going to hear three ways that Jesus gives us to refill and rejuvenate ourselves. Near the end, we're going to leave with perhaps a humorous, but hopefully helpful, little prescription for keeping us filled up. Ready? Let's turn to your Bible to the story of the empty girl and Jesus at the well. This story is only found in the Gospel of John, and we're going to start at chapter 4. So, John chapter 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So, we're talking about Jesus, and he's going through Samaria. A little background here, history. The Jews and the Samaritans avoided each other. And that might even be a little too kind. Maybe detested is a better word for it. They detested each other. The two groups were cousins. The Samaritans were part Gentile, part Jew. Yet they still claimed themselves to be full Jewish. And that, of course, made the, the real Jews very angry. Now, verse 4. This first verse says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, you could simply walk straight north and go right through Samaria. I could find a place to tell me exactly how far this was. Some places look like six miles, 60 miles, sorry, 60 miles, and another place said 78 miles. But however, because of their extreme anger toward the Samarians, and Samaritans, they, the Jews, would go east around Samaria the long way around, which would take an additional two days of walking. Two days of walking. That's just crazy. Rather than just going straight up through it, 60 miles. Anyways, yet yet this verse says that he had to go through Samaria. Those words had to stem from a Greek word, edi, which means it was necessary. So it was necessary that Jesus passed this way, and we're going to find out why. So, now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now, it was noon. Women did not come to the well at noon. We know this, right? Okay, so they live in this desert, and in the, at noon, it was horribly hot. So all the work was done in the evening or in the morning. At noon, they would stay in their tents, and they would rest or just stay out of the sun. But this woman was here at the well at noon. So we know this woman, who doesn't really have a name yet, wasn't your everyday woman. She clearly was avoiding other people. As we read it, let's listen closely to the question she's asking. Think about the things that were on her mind. Think about the things that are obviously burdening her. So starting at Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it was who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. 
sir, the woman said. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is very deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I could see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one whom speaking to you, I am he. <clears throat> So there are six things this empty girl was letting her drain her dry. Did you catch them? I guess I hope not, because then you wouldn't need me. <laughs> I could just stop talking. As I read this, I found the empty girl was looking at six things. First thing, other people's expectations. Second thing, impossibilities. She saw impossibilities and it filled her with fear. Third thing, she was longing for happily ever after. Fourth thing, the empty girl was running to empty fillers. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Fifth thing, instead of looking at her own sin, she was comparing herself beside others, coming up short. So comparison. And last of all, she was waiting for some day. I wonder if you ever see some of these same things draining you. Let's look a little closer at them. The first one, expectations. She never thought Jesus would talk to her. First of all, men never talked to a woman they didn't know. In fact, as a Jewish man, they would rarely even talk to another Samaritan man. On top of that, the Samaritan woman had a bad reputation. You could tell that by being at the well at noon. That in itself would detain another Samaritan from talking to her, but especially to ask her to drink from her pitcher, which by the way, drinking from something that belonged to a Samaritan would have made Jesus ceremoniously unclean. Yet he spoke to her and asked her for a drink. 
Look at her response. She said, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? She was worried about rules, worried about traditions, worried about the expectations of other people. Now, there are silly things we expect in people, like chewing with your mouth closed, knocking at a door before you enter. Those aren't the expectations I'm talking about. I'm also not talking about the expectations of sin. I'm talking, like, like you expect someone not to, like, rob a bank. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about beliefs that spring from our thoughts after examining evidence in other people's lives. So I'm talking about expectations that are based on assumptions we get from watching other people. Those things can drain us very quickly. We could follow all the guidelines and all the rules we think others have of us to a T and still come up empty. Expectations of other people, things like having my house spotless in case someone drops by, an expectation that we don't really have to live up to. In fact, living up to this expectation will drive the mom of a toddler insane. But walking through a kitchen of an empty nester, I tend to get the feeling having a spotless kitchen is one expectation I need to meet. Or some belief after you get hearing little hints your parents say over and over again. An expectation when you think people expect you to use a certain curriculum or do school a certain way or start school at 8 o'clock or get it done within these certain hours. Or growing a garden. Doesn't every good Christian grow a garden? Or every homeschool mom grow a garden? No. It's an expectation we can get from people, but it really isn't the truth. Or when we expect, when they expect you to offer to be on every committee because you're always at home and you always have so much time. Or when they expect you to lurk a, lurk a certain way or be a certain way because you're homeschoolers. Maybe it's they test your kids' knowledge on certain things. Are there things that you think everyone around you wants you to do, but Jesus doesn't care. He's not concerned. This empty girl had expectations. She expected this man not to speak to her, and he blew the expectations away. Jesus looked inside her heart. But let's go beyond this little surface expectations. Imagine what a gift this conversation was to her. She clearly was not living up to what other people expected. And in fact, I tend to think she was hiding from other women. I wonder if she was tired and drained of trying to live up to what everyone else expecting and failed for so long that she cut herself off from anyone. I think she knew she was not who everyone wanted her to be, so she avoided them. Have you ever been in that place? Feeling like you didn't meet up to everyone's high standards? I know I have. Jesus gave her a precious gift when he stopped, looked inside her heart, and really saw her, not for what other people expected, but through his loving eyes. Trying to live up to what we think others expect of us, instead of pressing into what God expects of us, will completely drain us dry. Number two, 
The empty girl's second question was, how are you going to give me water from the well if you don't have anything to get water out with? Impossibilities. This girl looked at all the impossibilities. Rightfully so, though, right? We would, too. Looking at it from her point of view, here's a man standing by a well with nothing in his hands. And he says, I'm going to give you water. Impossible, right? What about you, friend? Has God ever stood in front of you and said something impossible? Like, I want to give you peace as you stand surrounded by screaming, whining kids. I will take care of you as you drive to the doctor for a follow-up appointment from a biopsy. Go tell the world about my love as you head to a coffee shop with a friend who doesn't know the Lord, or as you sit by another parent during softball practice. Show your husband love, even at the end of a tired, long day. Some things just look impossible, right? When we look at impossible things, what feeling are we filled with? We're filled with fear. Fear of the impossible. Fear drains us in a quick way. Fear that we might not have the right words when our teen is struggling with anxiety. Fear that we are going to mess our kids up. Fear when our kids get on day three of the latest virus. Fear we won't make it through, our, through the day till our husbands get home. Staring at the impossible things and staring at fear empties our cups fast. We must stop staring at fear. Impossible is possible with God and fear has no place in God's possibilities. The third one. Jesus talks about this living water and that if she just had it, she'd never have to thirst again. She wants this. I mean, who of us wouldn't? She says, give me this so I'd never have to come to the well again. Happily ever after. She wanted happily ever after. She did not want life to be hard ever again. Shame on her. But what about you and me? I'm sorry, but sometimes I do. I strive for happily ever after. Oh, if I could just get married, I'll always have someone to talk to. Oh, if we just moved away from that neighbor with a pit bull dog. Oh, if only we could get a second bathroom in our little house. If only, if only I just had those bookshelves, a new couch, backsplash in our kitchen, a basement that won't leak, cement done the right way, a building for all this junk to go in. A chest freezer that will shut without having to have a bucket of sand sitting on it. Kids that obeyed. Kids out of diapers. If only they could read. If only there was something that would put the dishes in the dishwasher. The laundry. If only. If only I didn't have to go to the well anymore. If only I had more patience with my kids. More hope. More courage. More time for my marriage. More energy. Sister, what are you saying, if only about? What happily ever after are you longing for? Longing for happily ever after will run you dry because happily ever after steals your happily right now. It's true. Happily ever after 
searching for happily ever after, steals your happily right now. If you go about life searching for this happily ever after, you will never find it. There will always be something else. So we have to stop searching for happily ever after before it drains us dry. The fourth thing, and it might seem a little odd, maybe even impossible it could drain us, but I think it will make sense once we get talking to it. Empty fillers. The next statement that the empty girl says to Jesus is, I have no husband. Now we all know the story. We know she has five husbands and she was living with another that wasn't her husband. And we think we are not like her at all, which is true. None of us have five husbands. Yet, what about our hearts? Let's dig in a little deeper. Did this empty girl think that human affection would fill her empty cup? Was the next guy going to fill her up to overflowing and solve all her problems? Do we have something we're trying to fill our empty cup with? Empty fillers. That's what I like to call them. Things we think will fill up our cup, but it doesn't. In verse 16, Jesus told her, go find your husband. Jesus knew her husband's situation. He called her out on it. He asked her to go get the thing she was trying to fill her cup with. Girl, if you were at the well and you were talking to Jesus, what would he tell you to go get? Not your five husbands, but what are you trying to fill your empty cup with? What would he say to go get? Would he say, go get your checkbook. Go get that book you're reading. Go get your kid's test score grades. Go get that project you're working on. Go get the people on that committee you're on with at church. Go get your perfectly decorated homeschool room. Go get the Reese's peanut butter eggs that are hiding in your bedroom dresser drawer. Where are you searching for importance in? Where are you running for comfort to? Running to anything but God will leave you empty. It might taste good and feel good to hide behind a locked bedroom door and eat while the kids pound on the other side as you, I, eat Reese's peanut butter eggs or trees or pumpkin, whatever the latest season was. But that doesn't last. Running to anything other than God will leave us empty. It fills us with empty stuff, and it doesn't last. Sister, what are you running to? So number five, this empty girl was slowly realizing she was talking to someone who wasn't a normal guy. He had just told her she had five husbands and that she was committing sins with the sex. So this may have made her squirm a little. So instead of talking about her obvious problem, she changed the subject. Her next piece of conversation went something like this. So you must be someone important. Tell me, who's right? The Samaritans built the temple, and they worship here. But the Jews say you have to worship in Jerusalem. Who's right? Do you remember how the Jews and Samaritans detested each other? This was one of their points of contention. The Samaritans had built the counterfeit temple at the hill of Mount Gerizim. They made their own traditions, they made their own practices, even 
set up their own priesthood. The whole bit, which of course did not sit well with the Jews, who say Jerusalem's the only place to worship, who say their priests are the only ones worthy to be called a priest. She was, this empty girl was worried about who was right and who was wrong. Finally, she thought she had someone important enough that could tell her the answer. She didn't want to talk about her own sin. She wanted to point at someone else. She wanted to cover up the real problem inside her. Sister, do you ever do the same thing? Do similar questions ever consume your mind and take your attention off what it really should be on and drain your cup? Something like, she's using that curriculum, but I use this one. Who's right? Something like, her her kids are in a sport and mine are not. Who's right? Silly, isn't it? But we've all done it before, and it just keeps going down a downward spiral. What if I want my kids to go to public school? But you called her to homeschool. Who's right? Or I go to this church, and she goes to this one. Who's right? Or I'm a part of this Bible study, and she's in this one. Who's better? I have this many followers on Instagram. She has this many. Is she better than me? Someone commented on my picture that it was pretty, but ten commented on hers. I'm not really feeling that great. She works. She has three kids. She's on the meal committee at church. She hosts prayer meeting at her house once a month. She signed up to bring a dessert. I am just a failure. Have you done it? Have you gone down this comparison trap before? Have you wondered who's right, me or them? Have you compared and come up empty? Me too. Recently, I went down this path of comparison in a bad sort of way. When I finally got to the end of myself, I realized I was trying to run from my own sin. God had been trying to call me out for my own sin, and I went out to see if I could find someone in worse shape than I am. Comparison. Kind of sounds like, come here, you've sinned. And instead, we run to comparison, perhaps trying to prove we aren't so bad but it always ends up leaving us feel worse. So this is the fifth thing that drains us fast. Comparisons drain us dry because we're not made to look the same. Looking at others drains us dry because when we're looking at others, we stop looking at ourselves through the eyes of our great God. Comparison doesn't fill us up because it might really be God saying, come here, you've sinned, and I want to forgive you. And I want to bring you back into relationship. Stop comparing. Comparison will run us dry every single time. The sixth and final thing we see the empty girl concerned about is someday. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain it all to us. Someday, this will all make sense. Someday, when the kids are all gone, we can work on our marriage. Someday, when the kids are out of diapers, we can do in a couple's Bible study. Someday, the dog will be house broke. Someday, I'll be able to do school without a toddler around my feet. Someday, my children will learn to read. Someday, I'll feel like I have enough answers to be a mentor to teen girls. Someday, I'll have my life together enough to do. Well, you fill in the blank. Waiting for someday. Waiting for an answer. Waiting for an explanation. Waiting till you understand it all is no longer an excuse. Jesus says, I am he. I am the one you're waiting for, and I am here.
Sister, he is here. Just as sir, sure as he was talking to the woman at the well, he is here in the form of his Holy Spirit. He lives inside us, right here inside us. We don't have any excuse not to understand this whole worshiping the Father and Spirit and wor- Father and Spirit verses that Jesus explains to the empty girl. Jesus says true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. We can't wait for anyone to explain this to us. It's already been explained to us. Jesus is here. The Spirit's living inside us. We don't have to wait anymore. And that is the answer to the empty girl. That's the answer to staying filled up. The Holy Spirit. He's the one who fills the empty girl. The Holy Spirit is the living water that will quench our thirst forever. The Holy Spirit is the spring that will fill us to overflowing. And it will well up to eternal life. The Holy Spirit will take the unmet expectations of other people. Looking at what others expect of us instead of looking into our heart. It will take the impossibilities that fill us with fear. It'll take the happily ever after that steals our happily right now. The Holy Spirit will replace the things we're running to that leave us empty. It'll make void the comparisons that show us the inside of our heart is what's important. The Holy Spirit will remind us that waiting for someday is no longer an excuse. But how? How can we get to this place where we stop all the things that drain us and accept this living water and be filled with this thing that will spring forth forever and always? How do we go from being a dry, empty cup to an overflowing with the brim, pouring out to those freely around us? How do we do it? Is it more coffee? No. I believe the answer is tucked right inside the same empty girl story. Verse 10. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gifts of God and who it was to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you knew. And let me put it in short little bullet points. No extra words. If you knew God. If you had a relationship with Jesus, you would ask to be filled with the Spirit. And that's the answer, sister. We must know God and all the gifts he's given us. We must know and have a relationship and hear Jesus speaking to us every day. And we must ask. Ask to be filled with the Spirit. Sounds easy, right? But it's not. When we're filling our minds with all these things that drain us, we forget God. We Stop hearing the words Jesus is speaking to us. And we stop asking for the Holy Spirit to fill us. In order to not be an empty girl, we have to stop looking at the things that drain us and instead focus on these three fill-up statements. The story of the empty girl was not over with this little conversation at the well. So let me tell you how the rest of the story went. First, she got a name. Her name was now Fotini, meaning enlightened one. This enlightened girl left her water pitcher. She left all those things that drained her. She went out and told others, come, see this man who told me who I was. She went out and shared her story. She told others to come and see. She brought others to Jesus. She brought people 
but they believed because they saw him, him for themselves. These Samaritans begged Jesus to stay several days, and there was a church planted there. And those Jews who hated Samaritans, still to this day, those Jews celebrate three feast days in her honor. Not just one, but three feast days in the honor of this enlightened girls. I'm sure none of us will find our names on the Jewish calendar, but we have a story. We have friends around us who need to hear our story. We need to tell them our story, not for us to convince them that he knows our story, but for them to come and see Jesus for themselves. We can only do this if we leave our water pitcher and all the stuff that's draining us at the feet of Jesus. So I have one more thing I want to do before I wrap up here. We're going to turn in our booklets. Um, and I want to give you something that you could take with to arm yourself with. Kind of like a little prescription for the season you're in. Something to look at and get a great idea of what the great physician might order for you when you're feeling empty. So let's think a little bit. Which of these six things drain you most? <clears throat> And I have them here on this handout. Are you longing to live up to others' expectations? Are you staring at the impossibilities that fill you with fear? Are you searching for happily ever after that's stealing your happily right now? Number four, are you running to empty fillers? Are you trapped in a list of comparisons, avoiding a possible come here you've sinned? and instead trying to find somebody doing it worse than you are? Are you stuck because you're waiting for someday? Though there are other things not on the list that I listed. Teenagers not getting enough sleep because you have a new baby, stress at your job. So perhaps we didn't talk about the thing that quite empties you. But just take a moment to think about it and fill in that blank. I know that blank is something that drains my cup. 